Lessons from the Faith of Abraham, we've entitled this morning's message. Normally we are in the exposition of the Gospel according to John, as Chris has mentioned, and we are dealing with the aspect of the world's hatred uh, for us and for God and Jesus Christ. And Lord willing, we will resume that next week. This is a special day in that it's Father's Day, as we have mentioned in appreciation to the fathers today. And I do think that, uh, so that you understand, even if you're visiting today as a pastor, I, I am one that tries to stick with the Word of God and not be driven by every single occasion that comes along. And uh, while we are taking a diversion this morning, as I've looked back in history, I have given several messages on Mother's Day, but to my knowledge, in the 32 years that I've preached, I've only given one message on Father's Day. Um, that was deviant from, or I should say, that was a tangent from what we were teaching uh, in, in the scriptures by going through a book. But this morning, as I considered it, or I considered it this week, what I wanted to do and I took before the Lord in prayer was taking a, an area where it would be applicable not just to fathers, but to all of us. Uh, because if it was just a message that went to fathers today, those who are not fathers could just tune off and get ready to go into the day. But we wanted something that was appropriate for all of us and yet would be a challenge to fathers as well. The scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 4, and I will read it to you, it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. And here's the reason why. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We are told that what has been written in the past has been written for our instruction so that we can have hope. And that was in the context in Romans chapter 15 in which Paul was exhorting the Roman believers <clears throat> that they are no longer under the law. And so the natural question that would come to mind if we're no longer under the law, why bother even to read the law? Or why bother even to study the Old Testament? And he instructed them that those things were written so that we would under, basically understand God and understand what God has for us. And it is for our learning. So this morning today, as we consider Abraham, we need to consider the fact that in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the chapter dealing with faith, there are many even within this particular chapter that are cited as examples of faith to us, from which we can learn from and we can apply some of the truths to our lives. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a list. In addition to that, you have such people that are not named there, like Job. What a man of faith Job was. Joshua was a man of faith. Joseph, if we looked at his life. And there are so many different lives that we could look at as the point. In selecting Abraham, in considering Abraham, one of the reasons as I prayed about who we can look at for an example was the fact that Abraham, to the Jews, to the Arabs, and to Christians alike, is the one man that people look back to, if you will, as the father of faith. And in case you say, well, I don't look back to him as the father of faith, well, let me tell you that even Jesus Christ did. And even the scriptures do throughout scripture. You will find many references, even by the Lord himself, to the fact 
that he would refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God, throughout the Old Testament, would go back to Abraham and start there. And then, because of the promises that came down through the Abrahamic covenant, refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it would always start with Abraham. And by the way, that's nothing new. We find it even in the New Testament and the responsive reading that you have. As the example of faith and the difference of whether we are to be saved by works or whether we are to be saved by faith, Paul takes it right back to Abraham. So there's an awful lot that we know about Abraham and we can look to with Abraham. And this morning we want to learn some things <clears throat> from the patriarch Abraham that I believe can be a challenge to, first of all, even an unbeliever. And secondly, a challenge to all believers. So we all come into that category. And finally, obviously, to fathers as well. So let's look right into it with Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, as I've chosen that passage to be the point in which we would start to look at the life of Abraham. And I've given you an outline in the bulletin. Let's first of all realize that Abraham was a man that responded to God. He was a man that responded to God. Would you turn with me in your Bibles uh, <clears throat> back to Genesis chapter 11? Genesis chapter 11. And I know many of you are familiar with it, but I'd ask you to stay with me. And as you're turning there, I will read verse 8 to you of Hebrews chapter 11, our starting point. Hebrews 11, 8 says this, By faith, Abraham when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, listen, not knowing where he was going. That's our passage this morning, the very first verse from the passage. He responded to God. He obeyed God when he was called, not even knowing where he was going. Well, in the passage back in Genesis, where we find that background, and I know most of you are familiar with chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, but I'd like to go back to chapter 11, verse 27. In verse 27 it says, Now these are the records of the, of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram. Now he is later known as Abraham. Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terran, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the, da the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter into the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Then we come to the passage you know. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, 
and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now in that passage that is much familiar to us today and is often quoted, we go back and see that even the blessings today still come down through Abraham. But let's understand the setting here. As you just read and saw, as I read it to you, he was born in Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Abraham came from. And he had traveled with his family. And as he had traveled with his family, he went to the place called Haran. That is modern-day Iraq today, to give you some idea. He traveled up, and he was in the area of what we would call the modern-day Iraq today. And he was there, and we know from the book of Joshua, if you want to mark it down, Joshua chapter 24, and verse 2 specifically, I will not turn there, we know that Abraham's background was of a pagan family. That's important to us this morning. Abraham did not grow up as a believer. He did not grow up, you even hear today, among especially those that have been brought up in the United States of America, I've always known God, or I've always believed in Jesus Christ. That is not true. If a person is a true believer, at one time they did not believe in Jesus Christ. That was also true with Abraham. Abraham was of a pagan descent. What does that mean? He was one that worshipped other gods. And I think that's important to our passage as well. Because as we read through some things, for example, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that Abraham was an astrologer. What, was that, what would that mean? Well, that meant that he studied the stars, he studied the moon, he studied the solar system. And when you go back in time that Abraham lived, they worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars as gods. So in all probability, and writers that go back and write about Abraham, said that he was probably a worshiper of the sun and a worshiper of the moon. In fact, the derivative of his name comes from the word moon. That's where his name comes from. And he was probably himself named after the moon god in all probability. Now, again, that may not mean an awful lot to you, but I'll tell you, even to those of you who have studied the word of God and know Abraham's life well, think about the significance of a verse we're going to look at in a minute. When this man had been the worshiper of the stars and the moon and the sun, and what God is going to tell him to look at, to understand what God is going to do in this man's life. It was a complete change for him. And what we find out is that when he was 75 years of age, 75 years old, that's probably older than most of us in this room. Some of you are older than that. But in reality, it was obviously toward the end of his life. He had been spending his life with his family. He had been spending his life enjoying the pleasures of this world and worshiping foreign gods. By the way, Keep that age in mind when it comes to the idea of being ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't be afraid to preach it to those who are old, because as you will see, they can follow God as well. But he was 75 years of age. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15 now. And being 75 years of age, God somehow reveals himself to Abraham. We know from chapter 12 that he spoke to him. 
But he also revealed him in such a way that he helps Abraham to realize those things that you have been worshiping, I created. He had come basically from the concept of being one who was thinking of evolution and bowing down to those gods to now one that realizes through God's revelation that I am the one who has created that. And what happens is, in chapter 15, look at the verses, verse 1. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, now he uses a vision, Do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And he's looking around at the promise of God. He knows that God was bringing him to a different land and going to promise him all these blessings, chapter 12. But he says, I still don't have any children. And then, behold, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, This man will not be your heir but one who will come forth from your own body. He's 75 years of age. From your own body, he shall be your heir. Now watch verse 5. This is a man who's an astrologer. This is a man who all his life has worshipped basically the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he takes him outside and he says, look toward the heavens, that which you used to worship. He says, count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Here he's dealing with Yahweh. He's dealing with the one true God. He had not worshipped that God before. Now he is a follower. He has left his people, and I'll come back to that in a second. He has left them, and he's now following the one true God, and that which he used to worship, God uses to help him look at that and say, your seed will be like that. And you notice what happens, as you well know. In verse 6, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldees, to give you this land to possess it. It was God that was behind it in chapter 12. And we find out that God blesses Abraham in this passage. And I want you to see this. At one point in time, he was not a worshiper of Yahweh. He was not a worshiper of the one true living God, but his life got changed. There was a point in time. There are those who go around in this world. First of all, let me deal with those who know Christ. Before we came to know Christ, we were in this world like anybody else. Worshipping what they worship, doing what they do, even with our families. And if you are here today without Christ, that's where you are, just like Abraham was. Doing what was common to the day. Going along with the thinking of the day. Until God did a work in his life and he called him forth. And it's a reminder that God must open up the heart and the mind of the blind. And at some point in time, a person has to come from following idols to, as it says in Thessalonians, they turn to God from idols. And that is what happened in Abraham's life. Abraham was looking to idolatry all his life. 
And God did a work in his heart and opened up to him the one true living God who had created everything that he used to be worshiping, meaning Abraham. And he helped him to see that I am the God who created it all. And Abraham took God at his word and believed him. And he came to faith. He turned away. And I want you to see that. It's important. Go back with me to Hebrews now, chapter 11. Yes, he's a man of faith who came to believe on God. He came to believe on the Savior that would come through his seed. Yes, but I want you to see some other things. In, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 11, first of all, in verse 8, we saw that he left not knowing where he was going. Why? Because he simply went out and took God at his word and obeyed him. He responded. No one comes to salvation without responding to God, without responding to the one true living God. But I want you to notice something else. Look at verse 15 of Hebrews 11. And indeed, if they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Why am I pointing that out right now? In his responding to God... It was a total response. He didn't know where he was going, but he left. And when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say this. You know who you're now trusting in, but you must leave everything. You say, even family? That's what he left. This is an individual thing that happens between you and God. He left his family. He literally left his family. And if I stopped right there, that is a problem probably for many in this audience. Family is such a precious thing, and it should be. But it's the true test of whether you truly know God. Because it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. And he was called from his father. He was called from all that his father believed and all his father had taught him and all his father had instructed him because it wasn't truth. Now, praise God, we got many Christian families in here. But I want you to see something else. When the calling of Jesus Christ comes for salvation, that is what you need to see, that the one true thing I need to believe is what God has revealed to me through his word, and that is that Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and life. And you can't worry about family. You can't worry about your geography. And by the way, this was from day one with salvation with Abraham when he believed God to the end. He, tied, he took Lot along, I know that, but then he finally had to separate from him. And it gives us a true picture of what salvation is. This isn't just a tag along to his life. It was a total change. He was willing to go, even geographically, to areas he had never been before because now God was Lord of his life. And oftentimes, even with Christians, quoting professing Christians, they say they belong to Jesus Christ, but they will only go so far. And sometimes, parents won't let children go. Children won't leave parents. Sometimes people won't even leave a country if God was leading because they're too afraid of that. 
When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's Lord of your life. Abraham understood that, and he responded. There was nothing held back. And he didn't try to go back, you notice verse 15. None of them did. They didn't think, well, maybe someday I'll go back to the way I used to live. No. They were following God wherever he led. Let me challenge fellow believers today. Is that the type of belief you really have in Jesus Christ? That wherever he calls, I will go. If he calls you to leave family, you will go. If he calls for you to stay right where you are, I will stay. If he calls for a total change in your lifestyle, which he does do, that that's what I will do. I firmly believe that much of professing Christianity wants to go back to like they were. You don't find that with Abraham. Abraham, who is the father of all who believe, and is the example that Jesus Christ himself points to, points out that he was 75 years old, and he took him away from idols to the true living God, and Abraham never looked back. He went. Whatever the cost. He left all the security that he had. He left the family that he had. He left the geography that he had. He left the society that he knew. He left all of the conveniences, and he followed what God wanted him to do. That was number one. Secondly, as I have in your outline, he not only responded and left everything behind, we find out the second thing was he lived by faith. And if you're a fellow believer today, that should be a challenge to each one of us. Are we living by faith? We talk about the fact that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we're to live by faith. What did it look like in Abraham's life? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. By faith, watch, he lived. That's what the passage says. He not only obeyed initially, verse 8, verse 9, by faith, he lived. How did he live? This ties into one of the messages that we've had out of John. He lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, fellow heirs of the same promise. That's association with others that had the same belief. We see in verse 10, for he was looking for a city which had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He not only came to trust in God, that's what he was living for. He was living for things above. He was living, if you will, for that which God was leading him to, for eternal things. He began by faith, but he continued by faith. He didn't depend upon himself. He didn't depend upon others. He didn't depend upon his possessions. But he was an alien. If you look at verses 13 and 14 of our passage, all these died in faith, watch, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. They lived in this world, and if you know the life of Abraham, he was wealthy, he had a lot of cattle, God blessed his life in many, many areas, but that wasn't what he was living for. That was secondary to him. That is why, by the way, even with Lot, he had no problem. Lot, you take the land that you want. This isn't my home. 
You want the best land? Take it. I don't care. I wonder if we'd do that. I think I'd have a tendency to say, let me evaluate this. I want the best for me. Abraham wasn't concerned with that at all. Why? This world was not his home. And having confessed, it says, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's who we've been learning that we are. If we truly have heard the call of God and have come to Jesus Christ by salvation and have come to believe in the one true living God, then from that moment forth, we are aliens. We are strangers. We live here, but it's like it's an exile. It's like we are prisoners and that we're looking for. Let me just challenge all of us, starting with myself. Are our eyes, our spiritual eyes, focused on eternity while we're here? Are we really focused on the things of God? I mean, I enjoy the home that I have. Yesterday I was out doing yard work. Some of you probably were doing the same thing. Why? To maintain it and so forth and so on. But we ought not to get so comfortable here. You know, we maintain it, we paint it, we take the yard work, we, we change some of the insides and we get it all decorated. I wonder how much of that we do with our spiritual life where we care for our soul, where we're feeding our soul, where we're thinking about eternity, where we're thinking about sharing the gospel as we've been challenged this morning. Why did he think this way? Why did he think as an alien? Why did he think of himself as a stranger? Why was this? Well, he doesn't hold anything back. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They took God at his word. They were focused on things above. Does that sound like New Testament verses? That we ought to be focused on things above, not on things on the earth? Doesn't mean you don't enjoy them. We ought to live here. We ought to enjoy them. He enjoyed his cattle. He enjoyed the things that God provided for him. He faced trials just like you and I do. And you know what? Time's of the essence this morning, but... He also failed, just like you and I do. If you look at the life of Abraham and you really follow it, I won't get into all the detail, there were times in which he lied about his wife. There were times in which he submitted to his wife and even failed with Hagar. He had failures, just like you and I, but he kept on going on, kept on focusing on things of eternity. He was looking beyond this life, and when he failed, he turned to God. He was focused on training his children. That's found in the book of Genesis chapter 18. God knew that Abraham would counsel and instruct his children so that not only would Abraham look different, so would his children. They would look, in a sense, the same as other people physically, but their focus would be on eternal things. So number one, he obeyed God. He responded. Number two, it tells us in verse 9 that he lived. He not only did it by word, he didn't only profess, he lived it. First of all, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, the second thing you ought to look at is, am I living with my focus on eternity? Thirdly, he awaited God's timing. And I think this is also good for us as fathers. Am I responding to God? Am I living for God? Am I waiting God's timing? Look at verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, there it is again, 
Even, Abraham, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. She had no ability in herself. Why? She was beyond the proper time of life. But since she considered him faithful, who had promised, therefore there was born even of one man, and him who was good as dead, and that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Did Abraham have struggles? Did Sarah? Yes. If you're not familiar with it, you can look at it on your own. Genesis chapter 16. She reached the point that, well, maybe it's to come by my handmaid. And Abraham submitted to that. There was sin. But out of that, even God blessed. But he kept saying, that, uh, God kept saying, Abraham, that's not the heir. It's going to come from you and from your wife. And you know what it says in chapter 18? He believed God. He waited on God's timing. He's now 100 years old. How is this possible? Is my God able to meet that need? God brought him through the first trial. And what was that? To recognize that the one true living God is the only God. And some, some of you may be in that place right now waiting to understand that there is only one true living God, worshiping the idols of whether it's money, prestige, your own opinion, religion, whatever it might be. Abraham had to come through that trial first. But he came to believe in the one true living God. And when he did, he never looked back. He lived. The second trial was, are you going to live for me? And he did. He lived with his focus on eternity. He lived with the reality that I'm not going back to where I was. This world is not my home. I would venture that every Christian in this room has sung that song at least once. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Let me challenge myself and you. Is that really the way we think? Is that really? Are we so comfortable in this world that we hope that the rapture just is postponed a little bit longer? Answer that for yourselves. I just want to see my child grow up and get married. I just want to see my grandchildren. I just want to see my great-grandchildren. I just want to see delay a little longer. Or are we really living as strangers and are saying, saying, yet come, Lord Jesus, now. I'm ready because this isn't my home. You've given me the privilege of living in the United States of America. You've given me the privilege of having a wife or a husband or a family. Or you've given the, the privilege of having children or grandchildren. You've given me the privileges of all the things that you've given me. But this isn't my home. I'm living for you and for eternity. That was the second test for Abraham. And the third one is, will you wait on my timing? Will you wait on my timing? He struggled with that. But he learned to accept God's timing. So much so that we find, and I need to get ahead to the fourth one here, but so much so that we find that even Sarah reached the point that she conceived. She laughed. Abraham laughed in the beginning. Why? Because they were human and they failed. But they also learned to trust God, and God's timing came true. And we know the story. Even at 100 years of age, a child was conceived, and it was the one that God promised. And by the way, the stars and the innumerable sand of the seashore, 
That's the likes of you and I still today. Can you now picture Abraham back there looking up at what he used to worship and finding out that God created that and now he says he's going to bless me in that way? And according to the scriptures, he did see the day in which the Messiah would come, according to John, and he did believe God that that would happen. And what a day it's going to be even for Abraham when the new heaven and the new earths come in and Abraham sees the seed of faith because he believed God and followed God. But his biggest test was yet to come. What was that? That he had confidence in God. Verses 17 and 8 through 19. He was not only a man that was called and responded. He was not only a man that lived for God, even though, by the way, the world around him was not living for God, even including Lot. He is referred to as just Lot in the scriptures. He was a man that chose to live close to the world, and as you know, his life was a disaster. Abraham chose to live different from that and not like the world and away from it, keeping his eyes focused. He chose to wait on God's timing, and he also chose to have confidence even when nothing made sense. Look at verses 17 and 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, this is not the first test that God's going to give him. As far as I know, recorded in Scripture, it's the last significant test that he's going to give him. But he tested him when he called him out. Abraham, are you going to turn on those idols of yours and turn to the one true living God? Abraham turned. God worked in his heart. Abraham, are you going to live for eternity? Or are you going to live for yourself? You're going to live as an alien. You're going to live as a foreigner in this world. I choose, Abraham says, to live for you. Abraham, are you going to wait on my timing? Or are you going to do it your way with Hagar? That's not my way. God, I will believe you again, he says, and I will trust in you for your timing. And the child came. Now the biggest test. How powerful is your God, Abraham? By faith, verse 17, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. And by the way, I love this passage because we know that the scriptures say that God sent his only begotten son. My personal belief is the best explanation behind only begotten is found in the word of God right here in this passage. Why? Because Isaac was not Abraham's only son. Abraham had other sons. Abraham and Isaac's relationship is the only begotten. He was the unique son, which is what the word means. What do you mean unique? He was the one of promise. He was the only one that God had promised through him the inheritance would come. And with Jesus Christ, he is the only one of promise. He's the only one that God sent into the world. He's the only fully God, fully man person that someone needs to believe on 
to have eternal life. But he was ready to offer him up. Now put yourself in that situation. This man was a worshiper of false gods. God called him. This man was trying to live his life, and he failed like you and I do. He lied. He ended up having a relationship with another woman, thinking maybe that's the way God was going to work. He failed, and yet God was faithful to him. Confesses that and moves on with God, and he's walking by faith. Now, finally, in God's perfect timing, at the age of 100, he has a son. The one son that God had promised would come. He's been living all of his life. His years are almost done. In fact, his wife will die shortly. And now God says to him, take him and sacrifice him to me. By the way, to false gods, not a problem. How in the world can the one true living God, who's made me wait this long for this promise, and I've believed him, and I've walked with him, and now he wants me to give that son back to him. By the way, little side trip, parents. How many parents are not willing to give up their children to God? Are you really ready for your son or daughter? I'll tell you who it's even tougher on, to be honest. Those who have one child. How many are willing to give of that child and just say, God, whatever you want for them, even if I never see them again. And you take them and move them to a foreign field, so be it. Not many parents are like that. Parents don't even get ready to let them go to get married sometimes. We need to see this faith that Abraham had. He's asked to sacrifice him. How could he do that? I'll tell you why. Because he truly did know his God. How do you say that, Pastor Dan? Look at what it says. Verse 18. It was he to whom he had said in Isaac, this one that I'm asking you, your descendants shall be called. And in verse 19, it says this. He considered that God is able. He had trusted God to turn from idolatry. He had trusted God so that he didn't see this world as his home. He had trusted God when the timing seemed foolish. And he knew that he had trusted God. His God was faithful. And even if God had to raise him from the dead, that's what it says. Look at it. That is the thinking that Abraham had. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. His faith was so strong that we know the account. He raised the sword. Can you imagine what his son felt like? Well, we have a little glimpse of that. Dad, I see the wood. I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? Come here, son. We know that the scriptures say that he bound him. Come here, son. Can you imagine what was going through his son's mind? But remember what Abraham said? God will provide himself a lamb. And God did. The lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That was a picture going all the way to Jesus Christ. 
But Abraham was willing and knew that's what a man of God fathers, that's what a father of faith is. One who just doesn't trust in God, but one who lives for him. One who waits on God's timing. And one who holds nothing and no one back from God. But is ready to follow even under the most difficult of circumstances because he has such a relationship with God and knows his God that my God is even able to raise him from the dead. You say, well, I'm not a father. Doesn't matter. If you're a person by faith, this is the example that God has given us to follow. To follow the faith of Abraham, not the man. He was over 100 years old, and he said, God will provide. And God did, knowing that God would even raise up his son. We know God's grace. He didn't have to kill his son, but he was willing for that because God truly was the one he was following. You know, it's an outstanding, I think, test of Christianity because as we move ages ahead, where is the bottom line with you or me? If you're married, is it your spouse? You should be willing to follow the Lord even if your spouse does not. You should be willing to follow the Lord even if he were to take the spouse away. You should be willing to follow the Lord if the children were to be taken away. If you're not married, you should be willing to follow the Lord even if your parents are still following idolatry, if you will, because they haven't come to know the Lord yet. When we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, it's just like Abraham. We move. We leave behind us that world. Why? We've been saved by grace, and we've been called to a life of eternity with God. And we're called to a heavenly home. Now, that doesn't mean we don't enjoy those relationships. Don't walk out of here and say, you know, it's Father's Day, and Pastor Dan didn't want me to enjoy my wife and my children. Not at all. But what I do want you to do is have the faith of Abraham and focus in on following God first, above everything else, and above every trial. And I tell you what, God will give you victory just like he did Abraham. He may not call you to the extreme test that he called Abraham, but remember what we started with today? He was given as an example so that we might learn, that we might learn what faith is that we might learn what it means to follow God under all circumstances. That we might learn what it is to really live as a foreigner, as a stranger, as an alien, in a practical way that's willing to sacrifice all and follow him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, Abraham trusted in the one true living God and turning from pagans. But according to the book of John, it says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, referring to Jesus Christ, and he saw it. Abraham knew that that promise through Isaac went all the way down to the Messiah coming. And the Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God and the provision that God had. And all of this world and all that it offers cannot give you salvation. 
your good works, religion, relatives, or anything else. It's only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have found faith in Christ because of God calling us, we need to walk by faith. We need to live it. We need to wait on God's timing. And we need to know our God so that we have confidence. Even when others might mock, you really think there's a heaven? You really think there's a hell? You really are willing to give up all of that to walk with God? Yes, why? Because I believe God's able to keep his promise. And God is, John chapter 14, preparing a place for us so that where he is, one day we shall be also. Do you believe that, fellow believer? And are we living that way? I trust that we will. Not only fathers, but all of us live with that type of faith. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, it is a humbling example. Father, I look at the life of Abraham, and he had his failures. And in a sense, that encourages us because you continue to work with him. You continue to move his faith along. You continue to bless. But Father, we see the example of a man who trusted in a faithful God and what that looked like, even leaving country, family, trusting in impossible situations, looking at what God had revealed to him and believing because he knew that his God was able to perform that which he said. Father, we who profess faith in Jesus Christ walk through this world and many times we see the promises of God and yet if we're honest, we have our doubts. We wonder whether or not you're even going to complete in us sometimes the things that you've begun. And yet your word tells us that you will. Father, we are frail. We fail, but you never fail. And I thank you, Father, that we are but earthen vessels. And help us to be encouraged as believers that you will never forsake us, you will never leave us. That nothing will separate us from the love of God, not our failures, not our doubts at times. But, Father, help us, by grace, to live by faith, like Abraham did, with our focus on things above. Help us, Father, to live and be grateful for the things that you bless us with. But, Father, to truly walk with our eyes centered and focused on eternity, so that our value system, the things that we cherish the most, will not be things of this world, but things that mean eternity, things that mean and are important to you and have true meaning and help us to live by that day by day. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.